Thank you, Kyle, for leading us in worship. Man, some good lyrical truth in there. Isn't it awesome to worship Jesus through the arts, isn't it? And, and, and worship Jesus through serving, worship Jesus through community. And uh, I just want to brag on you guys for a second. First, uh, man, what a tremendous time. I know Kyle pointed that out at the beginning, but what a tremendous time on Wednesday night. I just want to thank you as the body of Christ for showing up and showing off Jesus to so many. We had lots of guests that came. I know many of you were part of our uh, preliminary efforts. We went walking around the neighborhood, knocking on doors, and just saying, hey, we said two things. First, man, we love you. Jesus loves you. I guess that's two there. And then the third thing is we want to, we have a cookout for you guys. Come Wednesday. We went back out, prayer walked, and then we went back out again and just reminded, hey, everybody, it's open. Come on. Uh, don't cook dinner. And that actually got everybody's attention. And they said, you don't have to cook dinner. They woke up. And then we had lots of great gospel conversations. I didn't get a chance to find out who uh, all had those conversations. I know I got to have about four conversations with individuals, and they were very excited to just to know that we're here, that we love them, and Jesus loves them, and, and, and Jesus is our only hope. Uh, it's amazing when you just start loving people, serve people, and show authentic hope to people, how it transforms their countenance, and it, it ministers to their soul, and breaks past all those religious barriers that sometimes the culture builds up. But it was a great time. So I just want to brag on you. Thank you guys for coming to that. And obviously, you guys know that Rob is in uh, Santa Cruz. And so he asked me to preach. And so I said, sure. So this is the first time in 17 years that I've been at this service because the last 17 years, I've been at Super Summer, Oklahoma. So a lot of our leadership is there now. I just came back from that uh, retreat for our leaders. About 200 this week are there, getting ready to receive over 1,200 students next week uh, at Super Summer Week 1. And then we'll have Week 2 and Week 3. Uh, but they're there. They're getting ready. And they're having a worship service even right now as we are. And so it's an honor for me to come back and just share the word with you guys. But if you have your Bibles, and you should, and if you don't, there's one in front of you in the pew. It looks like this. You can grab that too. And we're going to be looking at the book of Mark chapter 5. So turn with me to Mark chapter 5, and I'll give you a few minutes to turn there. Uh, Not a minute, sorry, or a few minutes. It's too long. We don't have that much time. We'll be going to like 2 o'clock if I give you that much time, because, you know, we're already going to go to 1. I'm kidding. Uh, but Mark chapter 5, and if in your pew Bible, if you've got that, it's actually on page 840. So if you need to scroll there real quick. But if you're there, if you'll go ahead and stand with me as we read Mark chapter 5. We're going to just read uh, just three verses, starting in verse 18. And we're going to stand just as a recognition of God's word and how we will honor it. So Mark chapter Five, starting in verse 18. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been healed, who had been possessed with the demons, begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you, verse 20. And so he, the man healed, went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone 
marveled. Amen. Let's pray before you're seated. Jesus, we thank you, Father, for your word. As we unwrap the truths from the scripture and we reveal what you did in this profound moment, may your spirit speak to us. May your spirit reveal truth to us. And so we hold your word in such high regard. Because because you said it's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So we acknowledge that corporately. We stand in honor of you. And we worship you, so speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A lot of times when sermons are prepped and pastors are getting ready, a lot of times even Jesus does this. You know, he's God, and so he does what he wants. Uh, and so when Jesus would prepare to share a word with the people, a lot of times he, he thinks about the context. He matches the context with the biblical truth and the kingdom principle, and then he often has a story or an illustration, and that's great, and it's great to do that because it connects the dots, and uh, anytime you have a sermon, you you know, and if you get a chance to preach, it's always good to bring life application, but there are some times that the scripture itself is so profound, so amazing of a story, it doesn't need any, like, witty, funny story leading up to it. Uh, This is such the case. If you look at the whole story that we're about to read, I'm going to read that with you in just a moment. Uh, This moment is is such a a supernatural uh, display of God's power and his rule and his reign over all of nature and everything. And, And this is one of the greatest stories of the spiritual darkness being pushed back, the enemy being vanquished, and his authority, Satan's authority, being removed and cast out. In fact, this is one of the greatest displays of this warfare taking place that the only comparison to this in Scripture is actually in the book of Revelation. When uh, the author John in Revelation speaks about the end times and that the enemy is going to be completely vanquished, all if evil and all... Uh, all uh, of Satan's authority and his power will be removed, thrown into the lake of fire, and there will be no more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more, no, no more evil. And what a day that'll be. Amen. And we look forward to that day. The hope of Christ that we have in Jesus gives us that kind of hope that we look forward to that day. But Jesus showed us a little taste of that here in Mark chapter 5. And so we're going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to give you actually like a four-chapter, very quick uh, contextual background so we can understand what's happening in this moment. And so in this moment that we're going to have as a crescendo in verse 18 through 20 that I just read, and we're going to, that, that's where we will land, but leading up to that, uh, Mark is, is extremely just straightforward. He just kind of gets the point, dives right into the scenario of the ministry of Jesus. And, and a lot of this, the truths that you see in his scripture are really just the, the, the fact that Mark is trying to validate God's sovereignty and Jesus and Jesus being God and his rule and his reign on earth. And it's a great narrative to read through the lens of Mark. And so Mark really highlights a lot of things that Jesus is doing. Uh, Like, for example, all the healings that he does and the miraculous works that he does. In fact, uh, some of those uh, include, you know, paralytics that are being healed and and, uh, different ministries uh, being called out uh, by Jesus picking Matthew, this tax collector that in society, in our society, would be an outcast, somebody that's like, no, you don't want to mess 
that's not a qualified leader, but he, he comes to this tax collector, Matthew, calls him out to ministry. And he's definitely getting the attention of the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in that day have, have really just lost their mind. They have completely lost their mind. Jesus is wrecking their whole preferential religious system that has been established in order to allow them to earn authority and favor and rights in the Roman Empire, and they had this kind of this partnership with Rome so that they could have authority and power, and that was being destroyed, and the religious leaders weren't happy, so they were plotting ways to try to trick him up, and, but in the meantime, uh, Mark 1 through 4, before we get to this, also, Jesus is just gathering the crowds, hundreds and hundreds of people, so much so that there's one example of Jesus being pressed in so much that this woman comes up, touches his garment uh, to be healed, and she's completely miraculously healed. And he's like, who touches? Who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are we talking about? You're being pressed in from all the sides. He's like, no, there was power that, that has been released, and someone's been healed. And, and so this, this is this buzz in this area that's taking place. And so leading up to that, uh, Jesus had so much attention, and then he calls out the disciples. He also calls the, the, those who are watching out to radical obedience in this, this radical sacrificial lifestyle that really just turns some people off, and they're like, no thanks, I'll walk away. I thought I was coming to follow you in order to see what you can provide me and see what kind of miracles you can do around me or for me. And so now you're calling me to die and give up the, uh, everything and follow you. I'm not signing up for that. So some disciples walk away. This is the whole narrative context that's taking place. And so we get to the point where Jesus has to get into a boat and kind of get some distance off the shore. He's preaching to lots of different people at the time. And uh, and then he says, guys, we're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you're one of the disciples that hears this, they're like, well, why would you do that? This is Jewish-occupied territory. You know, this is where all the Jews are. Why do you want to go to the other side where all the Gentiles are? And, like, there's nobody that even knows who you are, and, like... You're kind of messing up this, this thing we got. All these people are coming, and you're building the name for yourself, and all this is happening. Now, Jesus, his intention wasn't to build a name for himself, but if you read on in further chapters in the book of Mark, Jesus calls them out, his disciples, for saying, you know, the last will be first, the first shall be last, and they were arguing about who's going to be, like, next to Jesus in the end and all this stuff, but... So Jesus says, let's go to the other side because there's an appointment we have. We want to go over there. And in the meantime, they're on their way, and a storm brews around them, right? And they almost die, but, you know, Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, and the disciples had two types of fear. One was, we're going to die, for, and we're fearful for our life. And this described, it says, they were filled with fear because Jesus just calmed the storm. And they said, who is this that has rule and reign over nature? No one has seen anything like this. And it says they were gripped with fear. And in just a little bit, we're going to talk about a third type of fear that you see amongst the people here. So they land on the other side after all of that that had happened. And we find this amazing story. 
Not that that wasn't even more amazing, all that they got to see and witness and what the people were experiencing with God with us. So in Mark chapter 1, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. They, the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they were met. Uh, and when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He actually lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Verse 4. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he would wrench them, the chains, apart. And he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell on his knees before him. Verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you or I beg you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Again, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 11. Now there was a great herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And they, so they begged him, this Legion, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter there. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of the inn and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. And we continue in verse 14. The herdmen, the herdsmen that were herding the pigs and saw this, fled and told it into the city and in the, all of the countryside. And the, and the people came to see what it was that had happened in verse 15. And they came to Jesus, saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had legions, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened and to the demon-possessed man and to the, about the pigs. And they, so they begin to beg Jesus, not for healing, not for restoration, not for hope, but they beg Jesus to depart from their region. They asked him to leave. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, what we just read, the man who began to be possessed or was possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Verse 19, and he did not permit him, but instead he said, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has been merciful to you. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. What an incredible story of rescue. But what a revealing truth of what the townspeople did. How Jesus responded to the, the, the man he restored. And can you imagine, after all the disciples had just seen, seeing his rule and reign? 
It's, it's an incredible narrative, and, and we come to the very first point right away, and that is this. Jesus has all authority under heaven and earth. All authority under heaven and earth. It is very clear in verse 7, it says this. Even the demonic evil powers of our world know this. And he cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, son of the most high God? And obviously through the narrative of the rest of Scripture, you see that this man is kneeling down before Jesus in a submissive body position, a, a submissive posture. And even before that, you can see Jesus calming the storm. You go back before that, and he heals people. In, 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 in latter chapters, in fact, he declares to be God himself, and the Jewish leaders hear him basically say, to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, and the religious leaders were aghast. They were completely thrown back because they know the only one who has authority to forgive sins is God himself. And he looks at the paralytic and his friends, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he reads the minds of the religious leaders and says, I know what you're thinking. Who has the authority to forgive sins? So he says, not only your sins are forgiven, but let me prove to you that I'm God. Paralytic, you're healed, and they get up. And the religious leaders, instead of compelled by this amazing, miraculous moment, have the same response as the town people. They were filled with fear for losing their position, losing their power, and losing the life that they so held close to them. And so the question, the kingdom question that I ask you today, the kingdom principle that we land today is, Jesus obviously has full reign and rule as king of the universe, king of this world, but does he have kingship in your heart? Does he have full reign and does he have full rule of your own heart? The kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about and preached about all the time. In fact, he would often use all kinds of stories and parables to compare the kingdom of God to help the people understand. But ultimately, the kingdom of God, when John the Baptist said, it is near, so repent and believe, was Jesus' rule and reign to make all things right and restore all things. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't an earthly kingship that the Jewish people hungered for. They were oppressed under the Roman Empire, and they wanted, they wanted the Romans to be put in their place, for them to be put back on top in the social status ladder, and, and that's what they thought the Messiah was going to come and do. But God's king and his reign was greater, far beyond the imagination of just a globe and a land to be owned. It was a worldwide, galaxy-wide, heart-wide rule and reign. And so the question we have for us today is, does Jesus have all of you? If you look at the, uh, you can juxtapose or compare and contrast the man that was healed from the demon and his response and his spiritual condition and you see the herdsmen that lost obviously lost some profit they lost 2,000 pigs and that's a lot of pigs like I've been driving down I-40 going to like the west coast and go, going by some farms way out in like 
uh, uh, North Texas or New Mexico, and you go by some of those large uh, cattle farms and those ranches, and like you start counting those, I'm like 40, 50, 60, I'm like, oh, there's a lot. And, and, and obviously that region probably had the same great odor that we smelled going by there. But for me, kind of like in Ponca City, I don't know if you know Ponca City is an oil town, and you know, we would go play them in football. You'd drive into town, and you could smell the oil, and we're like, we're in Ponca City, man, that stank. Man, that stinks. Uh, you go down I-40, and you're getting way out there towards uh, Texas and New Mexico, and you can smell the cattle. And I remember, like, we got to get past it as fast as we can, roll all the windows down, let air out. Well, for those who deal in cattle and those who deal in oil and live in Ponca City, it, it is a good smell to them. You talk with them, they're like, oh, that's the smell of money. Man, it's good. And it, they, they don't, I mean, they really believe that. And like we, I didn't realize that until we drove to uh, Kermit, Texas, where our family is from, down in the the armpit of Texas, uh, and I hadn't been back for years. And uh, we're driving to town, and I, I started smelling a little bit of that the oil that was out there amongst kind of the, the sand dunes and all this stuff, and it brought back this, this really pleasant memory of my childhood. It's amazing what smells can do like that. Uh, but for those towns, those herdsmen, I mean, that, that loss and that, that, that smell that they're, they, I'm sure they identify with was, was pleasing to them. But, but we as followers of Christ many times uh, can remember back maybe when, when sin uh, and our old lifestyle, and, and we see where, how far we've come from, and we've been rescued from uh, the enemy we have been set free from darkness, but a lot of times we, we get way over here in our Christian walk and we lose sight of how much Jesus has rescued us from. And maybe at times your heart gets drawn back from, to the smell of sin and you get tempted by those things. And so the question is, do you identify more with the, the man in crisis? If you, crisis, if you think about it, you look at this man. You look at the demon-possessed man. He was a man completely out of control. Man living in isolation, a violent lifestyle, uncontrollable to the point they had to put him into chains, and he was even breaking out of those chains. And Matthew, the, the, the one in Matthew, describes him as being completely exposed and naked, Living amongst the tombs was a sign of, of, of being un, uh, unworthy and unclean and someone that you wouldn't, couldn't even be around. Self-destructive behavior. But even in the midst of that, he and the legion knew who was king. And he knelt, he knelt down before him completely restored, renewed, and born again. An amazing, miraculous transformation. For some of you who are here this morning, you might be coming from a lifestyle that's chaotic and crazy, overwhelmed, maybe even, even depressed, anxiety. Maybe you feel like your life is spinning out of control. And Jesus is the one who can bring hope and restoration in the middle of the, the brokenness. That's why Jesus showed up. 
That's exactly why he came to rescue the broken, the outcast, the demon-possessed, the one whose lifestyle is completely consumed. I think sometimes as, as Christians, we just get into the routine of the Christian lifestyle, especially in the Bible Belt of the Western civilization. And sometimes we forget to identify with, even at six years old, if you were rescued from your sin at a young age, like a lot of times we some in this room have, you forget, you, you forget about before six, before six, you were still broken in your sin. You were born into sin. You might not have this tally mark of lifestyle and scars that were built up. But the rescue is no different than the man who was consumed by all these demons. Because the Bible says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Every one of us have gone our own way. And every one of us, before being born again and rescued, every one of us are in the same category, hopeless. And the fact that we've been rescued puts us the same. And so we, we see the townspeople. Now, the owners of these swine, the owners of the, the, the pigs, obviously realized that they were filled with fear, as it says uh, in verse 15. And they were afraid. It wasn't the same kind of afraid, afraid for their life like the disciples had in the boat. They were afraid that they were drown, about to drown and die. And was it wasn't the same kind of a fear of awe and wonder of God and his power and his majesty that overwhelmed the disciples to the point of, this guy is worth following. But it was a fear of losing their social status, losing their financial support, losing the things that they clinged to. And the question I have for you is, going back to point one is, is the reason why Jesus doesn't have the rule and reign in your heart is because maybe there are things that you're still clinging to, like your social position in school. Maybe the opinion of others, students, young people, and adults, drive a lot of the financial decisions you make. Maybe it's your pocketbook that you're holding on to, that you're not willing to really let the Lord have all because of the fear of what that might mean. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a, it's a habitual sin that you say, I'm not willing to give up. Maybe it's pride, anxiety, and anger that you identify with and you want to, but it, you, you don't know what would happen if you let Jesus have complete control of your life and you surrender all. And I believe there are churches filled all around our nation that are filled with people who would say, you know what? Yes, I want just enough Jesus to get me by. I want just enough Jesus to make it appear as though I am sanctified and saved. But when it really comes down to it, I'm not willing to give up everything. The call of Jesus, even in the, the Gospels, share Jesus shares this, this calling 
to Nicodemus when he comes to him at night, this religious leader, and he wants to ask Jesus some questions, and he doesn't want to be caught because he's a religious leader. He doesn't want to be caught talking to Jesus, so he goes to him at night and says, Jesus, so like, what does it take to enter the kingdom? What, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, follow the rules. I've done that. Well, actually, you must be born again. And Jesus is perplexed, or Nicodemus is perplexed by this. He's, he's, he's confused. Like, what do you mean? Do I have to go back into a, a natural birth and do it? No, because it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. So the question I have for you is, has that happened? We're not talking about a signing of a card so that you uh, can feel better about yourself, that you've done the, the ritual protocol. We're talking about something that is only done by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can't take any credit. It's a work of faith in our heart and our life. But when that happens, point two, you know what didn't happen in the life of that, that demon-possessed? He did not return to the tombs. When you are born again, you leave your tomb behind. When you receive the hope of salvation and you have had an encounter with Jesus, you were never the same again. Never. And you leave your dysfunction behind. You leave your crisis behind. You leave your old identity behind. You leave your old lifestyle behind. You leave your old uh, preferences behind. And the word is that Paul uses in Jesus both to repent, to turn, and to follow Jesus wherever he calls us to go. But many times we have come to the point of rescue with Jesus. We might, we might go through the religious protocol of signing cards and doing the discipleship activity and going to Sunday school and doing the church programming and the things, even going on mission and going and doing something like that. But if Jesus has not rescued you and you haven't put your faith and your hope in him, you're still in this position. Because if you come to Jesus like this man possessed and you're delivered, you're going to be different. And everyone is going to take note. The dude was sitting there clothed in his right mind, transformed by Jesus. It would be like me going, saying, hey, on the way to church this morning, I've used this with my students all the time, so I apologize, students. And you've probably heard it before, but it's very applicable. But on my way here, I, saw, I stopped on the side of the road and helped this lady. This didn't happen. I'm just saying this is what it would be like. And she broke down, and her car tire uh, blew out, and I'm in the middle of the road changing the tire because and I didn't want her to get in the road, so I'm on, on I-44. And then I stand up, guys, and guess what happened? I had the crowbar in my hand, and a semi-truck just smashed me. But I'm here preaching this morning, and just, just, I'm so thankful that now either A, I'm a liar, or B, like something crazy miraculous happened. And like, but, but like, if I told you that I got hit by the powerful Mack truck coming down the highway, like I would be different. And when you come to Jesus and you have been rescued, you are never the same again. And so my question is, does Jesus authentically have all of your life? Because 
If you try to think, oh, I can live in the world and I can live for Jesus, that's opposite of the gospel. That's completely opposite of what the Bible teaches, what Jesus uh, showed and what Paul preached in Philippians and all through the book of Romans. That we're called to die to ourselves, take, take up our cross daily and follow him. And, and so this calling is, is a call of rescue, a call of deliverance, a call of healing, but a call of purpose. So the kingdom principle, the kingdom question is, salvation is a call to repentance, and have you turned over the full reign and rule to be born again? If you haven't this morning, just in a little bit, you're going to have that opportunity. Maybe you're like the testimonies that we've been hearing the last several months from Nate Newthman and his dad Lance, who confessed from the baptistry that They've been in leadership for years, pastoral, leading Sunday school classes, growing up through CHA. But for them, they realized they just played a role. They played a part. I didn't ask them permission to share that, but they've been sharing it a lot. But they are different. Their countenance, their spirit, and their focus and their purpose is different. Nate Newthman shared this morning in Sunday school that he got to lead a second classmate to Christ this weekend. Praise God. And the next, the next point is exactly the illustration through that example. And that's this. Our last point is that man was delivered and rescued so the world may know. The purpose of our salvation isn't to act like a yo-yo, back and forth, where we live a defeated life of struggle. Well, okay, man, I, I know I keep returning to this sin, like Proverbs 29 and 11 says, a fool returns to sin like a dog returns to his vomit. And I keep going back to that, and, and, and I know I want to get back into community, and then I'm back over here, and I fall out of relationship. Uh, there, there's, there's, there is an understanding that we live in a broken world, we're going to be tempted, and, and we're going to struggle with sin. But, but it's understanding that when I am in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old has gone. The new has begun. I'm, a, I'm born again, and I'm new, and the picture of baptism is being lived out, that I bear, I'm buried to the old, my old self because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm raised to walk in a new life. And that new life has a life of purpose that is completely different than what was my purpose prior to that. Even noble purposes that we hold high and in high regard in our culture and in our world, which is success and academic uh, accolades and athletic uh, wins and all these things that we even build up as our premier gods in our life. And they become premier because you can tell how much time we spend on those things. And when those things become the Lord of our heart, we're identifying with those things as the God. And Jesus isn't the Lord of all. I mentioned the word Decapolis in verse 20. That actually isn't a single city. It's actually 
uh, a grouping of about 10 cities that are southeast of, of the Sea of Galilee in a very large region that was only uh, Gentile people, which means people that were living in a Hellenistic society, basically humanist and, and had no religion. They had intelligence and whatever you want to do was supreme. It was just uh, whatever the, the day, the thought for the day was. There was really no biblical understanding at all. And, and that's exactly the context that Jesus here sends this, this man who was completely demon-possessed, a social outcast, running around like a crazy person, uses as the very first missionary to East Asia to even roots that can still be traced back to this very day to the mission work in those 10 cities because this man was sent there. He didn't just go back to his friends. He was sent on mission to his friends and to that whole region. And it says he went to all those 10 cities from around and begin to share, hey, I'm the guy that was living in the tombs. I'm the guy that was living in brokenness. I'm the dude that had no hope. But Jesus rescued me. And I want you to know you can be rescued, that you can have hope. And the truth is, every one of us who have been born again and made new have that same story so that others may know that they can be rescued, that our hope is placed in something greater than our finances or a relationship or our social status or a, an addictive behavior. But we can be free from that and we can be put on mission for something great. And that's exactly the direction that the Lord is leading us as a people. Jesus calls the man to share his story among those in that region. And the man, if you read to the end of the, the, the narrative, the end of the story, the man comes to Jesus and begs him again and says, may I please come with you? Can I come with you? And, the, and Jesus says, no. What? Wait a minute. He just asked the disciples to come with him and says, here's what it takes to follow me. And he tells this guy, nope, sorry. Well, one, it's because Jesus was rejected in that area. He was asked to leave. And you know what? He did. But he sent his messenger, his ambassador, and his representation. God with us. So we have places where Jesus is rejected. In public schools and in marketplaces in businesses, and in our culture today, those, many of those are rejected. But you are his representative in neighborhoods, in parks. And we have an opportunity to share the story of hope that I was once lost, I was once broken, I was once living in desperation. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus alone, and I am free today because of that. Do you have a story like that? So my question is, do you have a story like that? And Matthew 28 sums up the very narrative and the very miraculous story when Jesus compels and commissions and commands his disciples to go. We know it. It's, it's the great command. 
And Jesus came to them and said, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So let's go. Northwest, let's go. It's an exciting time to be a part of this church. Amen? God's doing some amazing work. We have a, a wonderful gospel-centered pastor who's leading us with excellence. Let's do our part. And as your missions and family pastor, our purpose is going to be to be on mission. The goal this year is to see every member of Northwest to be sent. And the moment we stand up in just a minute and we walk out of these doors, we are sent. And my prayer for you is to do this. And here's your challenge. I'm going to ask Kyle to come up and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. But he's going to come up and play and we're going to have a time of response. But, but we have a summer on mission. And you look at that handout that we handed out and it's like, whoa, there's a ton of stuff. And the goal isn't for you to do all of those things. The goal is to point out that we're going to be on mission. And there are some gatherings. The, the mission trip that we took to our parking lot was a model for us as a people to practice. And so we want you guys to come to the popsicles in the park and to engage people in conversation and, and do these three things. This is, this is what we want to challenge you to do. We want you to pray. Pray for what is called your oikos or your circle of influence. That's the relationship you have in your marketplaces, in your schools, in your neighborhood. But your oikos is even those people that randomly the Holy Spirit brings into your life spontaneously, like at a park or a parking lot. So I want you to begin to be faithfully and continue to, as I've challenged you before, to pray for lostness around you. Two, serve. Find a way to just to do something hospitable and kind. Caring for maybe a coworker or a classmate. And then watch. Pray, care, or pray, serve, and watch. Watch for the Lord to open gospel conversations, opportunity to share your story. Not, not a ton of pressure. It's just a practical way of putting into practice the things that this man did in Decapolis. He went, he, he was sent, and he was, he was obedient. So may we be that people. Or maybe you're here and you can identify with that fear in three different ways. Maybe you're like the townspeople. You're like, you know what? I'm just afraid of what happens if I give Jesus everything. I've been raised in a religious culture, in a religious environment. I know all about Jesus. I can quote more scripture than you, Pastor. So can Satan. And he has not surrendered his soul and his will to him. He's smarter than us with the scriptures. But have you given him all authority? Or maybe you're like the man who is gripped with fear and his life is out of control and he's in complete bondage. His own sin habits, the, the 
demonic powers of this world has full reign and rule of your life and, and your life is out of control. Come to Jesus. He is the only hope of rescue. He will give you rest. He will heal you, restore you, give you purpose and give you hope. Maybe you're like the disciples. And you've seen God do amazing things in your life. And you're, you're amazed. But it's, it's time to be sent. It's time to step out of the pew. It's time to begin to share the hope of salvation with a watching world. There's plenty of hurting and broken people to go around. Let's go find some. Let's love some. Serve some. Let's pray for them. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to have people down front, Pastor John and others who are if they're here. And Jerry, if he's here, come down to just to minister. And if you identify with one of those three fears, we want to we want to pray for you. We want to pray over you. Or something else the Holy Spirit might be directing you that's completely what the Lord is showing you that you want to pray for. Maybe it's somebody in your life that's hurting, that's broken, and you see them in the dysfunction. Maybe their life is chaotic and crazy and out of control, and it just burdens you. Let's pray for them to rescue, and for Jesus to rescue the hearts. Amen. Jesus, as we pray and we respond to the teaching of your word, we ask, Father, for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, Father, to move in our midst even at this moment. And we ask, God, for you to do something that only you can do. God, we, we know that salvation is, is only by the work of the Spirit. So we welcome you here to work. We ask you to move. We ask that you help us to reject our flesh and deny our fear and walk in obedience with you. God, we have some amazing days ahead of us at this church. You have amazing plans ahead and plan for this, the families that are here. And we're so excited for what you have. And so we say, yes, Lord. So you come. Those who are weary, those who are hurting. In Jesus' name.